Good morning and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines, October 18th, 2022. We are very happy to have you here and I'm very happy to have the real David Grace. I'm going to have to ask a question about why you're the real, you're like the Ghostbusters from the 1980s cartoons right? Uh, in, in your Twitter handle. But if you don't recognize him, he is our somewhat erstwhile Lawyers and Dragons GM who is out doing elsewhere things uh, this Saturday. How are you doing, David? I am doing great. I'm happy to be back. Uh, I've had a wonderful weekend running the Comic Con circuit. It That's was awesome. really great. We got I got I meet I met Darth Vader from the Obi Wan Kenobi show. Who did like he's like a circus performer in real life. Okay. So he did this whole lightsaber demonstration. It was like it was really cool. I was trying to decide who you met. Like you met Hayden Christensen. You uh, you met James Earl Jones. I you, yes. You visited I, David Prouse's, I believe, grave at this point. I didn't know what I I dug him up to sign a picture for me. That's that's what happened. And then he was a nice guy about it. It was cool. And then we laid him back down to rest. And but they used they used a stunt Darth Vader at some point for Obi Wan, and you met him. Well, yeah, because Vader's supposed to be like seven foot tall, like seven feet tall, and Hayden Christensen is not. I mean, he's like six two in real life because. He's just as tall as me, but um, no, they they need they need to put that size difference on screen so that they use suit actors for the show. <laughs> I had I actually had no idea how they did it. I just assumed that they went to a, a nearby garage and put green screens up and just <laughs> swung sticks at each other for Obi Wan. But nearby um, garage no, insinuates uh, something there. <laughs> I think I think my early review of Obi Wan literally was: Do you know that scene in Galaxy Quest where Tim Allen has to describe that he went to some kid's garage? <laughs> Uh, that was made of cardboard, and that's how I felt about the production value of Obi-Wan. <laughs> Nothing taken away from you and McGregor and, and that kind of stuff, but man, you you look at something like, oh, I don't know, Rings of Power or Andor, uh, and they're wildly different in production value, even though we're going to talk about we're, we're going to talk about Rings of Power's production value a little bit, uh, because I do think they top-loaded the crap out of their money um, and then kind of coasted for a while. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We got so many good quotes, folks. Um, we're going to do a hangouts, of course, but we're going to do a kind of limited one because we have a hard stop today about an hour and a half from now. We have so many cool stories and quotes that we're going to see if we can make David cry. Um, and uh, I, I, the one thing I will warn is when we do get into the headlines, we, the first the first article should be okay. I'll warn you again uh, when we get to it. There will be spoilers for Rings of Power. Now, David might argue you can't spoil Rings of Power. Uh, but um, but uh, I, I will warn you again, and if you're interested in following up on it, if you haven't watched the season finale, for instance, um, you can uh, you can opt out at that point. Of course, I will, I will say we've got some really awesome quotes about what they didn't expect from their audience watching the season finale. This is going to be a case study in a couple of years on how not to make a TV show. I. You know, it's so funny, right? Because I'm watching House of the Dragon at the same time. And uh, HBO was in the running for the Lord of the Rings rights. I mean, you heard that. We talked about yeah. that in the, in the prior article. Um, and they didn't like the pitch. And I can't help but think it's like, hmm, I think HBO would have done this better. Now, I would be worried about the, the Hobbit sex scenes or whatever that HBO would need to add to the Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, but um, certainly, certainly there is a different caliber of show when these two go up against each other. And I think it's killing Amazon. I, like, I think internally they're just sad pandas as they watch these numbers fly for for a fantasy show. <laughs> or clearly not based on these articles that keep coming out. They think they got the cat's pajamas. Well, they might be placing some of these. I, I might accuse the Los Angeles Times of having an agenda in their article, but we'll I, see. 
I could I could believe it. Either way, how are folks doing this morning? Where are you hanging out from? Do you have any pertinent questions from David about his time at Comic-Con? Why he's real and not not real on Twitter? Tell him here, folks. We're going to have a hangout probably in the 10-minute variety. Um, and then we're going to go and, and talk about Rings of Power. Because at least according to some of these articles, it's just the biggest thing ever. Got an, got a Los Angeles Times cover story. It got a New York Times cover story. It's covered in Deadline. It's covered in Hollywood Reporter and Variety. We have so many, many uh, articles that launched at once. We're only going to be able to cover like four. All the uh, headlines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. We've got people welcoming, not us, David, not me, but <laughs> Mrs. Hoaglaw in the chat. It's awesome. Definitely a character on the show. How you doing, honey? How you doing, co-counsel? Good morning from Vermont. We got a hello from Denmark. Uh, just WB, David. I, I don't know what WB is. Maybe. It's oh, welcome back. Oh, welcome back. WB, welcome back. I'm a very hip kid, you know. And so <laughs> when they say FRFR to me, I'm like, yes, yes. That is, yes, very hip. How are you doing, fellow kids? Um, so what do we got here elsewise? Never saw Game of Thrones. Can't really give an opinion, but I know many, many like it. It's solid. I wouldn't actually make it the best thing ever, but I think we've been bereft of, of awesomeness for a while, so it feels like it. Uh, between Rings of Power and The Wheel of Time, I have feelings about Amazon production. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, I like The Boys. I think The Boys is a good show, but yeah, Rings, of powers, Rings of Power is... The Boys is way outside my genre and gratuitousness proclivities. Very uh, much so. So... so. <laughs> Yeah. So I know a lot of people really like it. Um, and I think, um, um, you know, we liked until they really cut the budget out. We liked their their rescue of the expanse um, for a couple of seasons there. I thought really worked well. I think uh, uh, Maisel um, co-counsel really likes. Uh, so there are Amazon things. Obviously, it's a big production house. Uh, but in terms of the fantasy stuff, in terms of the fantasy stuff. Well, they did get... Uh... Uh, a critical role legends of vox machina the animated That's animated show. is that correct it's an animated show uh, uh it's a little it, it it gets a little inappropriate when i know it doesn't have to mm. you know uh just to hit that hbo tick that mm. box like we're keeping up with them uh but it, otherwise it's a great show i really enjoyed it and even just see just one season i was like that's enough you, yeah. know, you don't have to come back i would argue that gets a little inappropriate even when it doesn't have to is kind of the critical role mantra Right. Uh, so, right. <laughs> so if you if you have a if you have a philosophy, I think that might be a good description uh, for them. I, I like the, <laughs> I like the happy Hogue has hair day. Yes, occasionally. You know, in the before times, before 2020, um, this is how I would look predominantly because clients would ask me to go to their place or come to mine. Uh, and generally speaking, as a lawyer, you don't show up in a ball cap mostly. Um, but now, since everybody's streaming and Zooming and Teamsing and whatnot, actually, everybody looks like this, like this conversation we're having with David. Uh, and so I, I wear hats a lot more because I've always loved them. And I really was limited by my career. But today, I need my hair. So you guys get it, too. Uh, be gentle. Be gentle. <laughs> uh, what else do we have here? Coastal Yorkshire. I always like that one. Uh, good morning, Shireen. Reacher is solid on Amazon. I haven't watched Reacher. Is it solid? I have not seen it yet either. 
though I've heard very good things. Okay. Uh, for the uh, book fans, that it's much much closer to the book than the uh, Tom Cruise film. Yeah, I watched the Tom Cruise movie. I didn't. I mean, it was fine. It was like bland. Um, so I, I guess I didn't watch the show on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, good morning from Ohio, but it's okay because go blue, blue heart emoji, yellow heart emoji. Thank you, Turbo Meg. Go blue indeed. It's two weeks of hate for Michigan State. So if you have anything to add about how the Spartans suck, you feel free to do that. We mean it with love. I have plenty of Spartan clients and whatnot, but for these two weeks, no. Uh, David, deeply invested in college football, I know. I'm very invested. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know this about you. Britt, with a super chat. Thank you so much, Britt. They claim it is a success. Oh, oh we're going to talk about these quotes, Britt. You better believe it. Uh, well, show me all the data, not just the sampled by more than 25 million crap. Oh, oh, the, they're using 100 million now. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, that led with the first weekend. I say the emperor has no clothes. I do not care what the nobility says. Ouch. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, fire landed aristocrat. <laughs> that, is, that is a fire comment. <laughs> oh, Brett. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? This is part of the fun. And we'll just, part of the articles is like, the streamers keep all their data quiet, right? And then they leak out these various things. And we know just from headlines and stuff that we can publicly confirm, you can do all sorts of things with statistics, right? Oh, yeah. So you got to read these sentences real careful. Um, and one of the things the Los Angeles Times does, which I'm going to accuse them of when we get to it, is like they do not compare like for like as between HBO and Amazon. And they're trying to say that Rings of Power is holding on against House of the Dragon. But they do at least have a paragraph that's like, nah, bro. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's clearly they're trying to buoy Amazon and Rings of Power, and I don't know why exactly, because we'll see the evidence or lack thereof that they have, Britt. Uh, but it is uh, it's funny to see because it is indicative of the market power and money Amazon has, even with big mastheads. Uh, you know, Los Angeles Times, New York Times, which I think yesterday was the day I learned that they use the same font uh, for their for their mastheads, um, and. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to break down. But I think some of the most fun stuff we're gonna have is the showrunners um, talking about their talking about their baby. It's gonna be great. These guys oh. are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> they might be. They might be. They 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 at are least bad. are presenting out into the world that they are just so thrilled with this genius creation that they have made. Um, and again, if folks are remembering, right? And we talked about Rings of Power before. I think maybe only last week. Um, and I had been enjoying the show as a kind of CW ridiculous fantasy. Um, and my that's daughter, not had, <laughs> not, <laughs> right there, that's not there's good. a lot of crap I like that's not good, David. And it's got, you know, some shiny whistles. I really like the music, for instance. I like Gladriel's theme. I like the Dwarven theme. I like some other stuff in this. Um, but uh, it's very funny because after the season finale, which we'll have to note, the Los Angeles Times article we're going to read first is before the season finale. After the season finale, my daughter turns to me and basically says, so that that wasn't good. And I say, <laughs> OK, uh, and then we talk more about it. And I, I want to I will bring that conversation back up when I when I tell you about spoilers uh, and, and to get out of here, if you're interested in preserving the essence of the rings of power for yourself. Uh, but until that time, uh, just know that uh, my, my daughter, who did that postmortem on Stranger Things with me uh, that you might have heard, <laughs> was enjoying it and then was like, no man what what was that a lot of people that i know who were fans of it saw that final episode and they were like oh this is bad 
Yeah, it really is. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about that finale, folks. The bathrobe will be completely open. Uh, and oh, so <laughs> much much like the Ishtari that fall to earth, we will look disheveled and hobo-like um, in, mm. our, in our wide and, and marvelous glory. So get, get excited for that. Um, but uh, I think we last have just a few comments here. Hogue, Bear McCreary did the music for Rings of Power, same person who did it on Battlestar Galactica and Outlander and like a bunch of things. Bear is a really good composer. And God I like War. that he I like that he went past his usual weirdly rhythmic percussive drums for Lord of the Rings here. <laughs> he, he did he did some real wild stuff. And I think Godzilla too. That was really good. Godzilla, Godzilla King like, of the Monsters. Okay. Yeah. No, I that it was an awesome me. soundtrack. It wouldn't surprise me. He's he's really good. Um, and he does tend to focus on that progressive stuff. So I think it was cool to see him branch out. Um, you know, I, I think for the main theme of the, of the title sequence, I, I think Howard Shore just rolled out of bed and gave a gave a, a, a B-side uh, uh, from from the Lord of the Rings original. Not not that New Line would know that, <laughs> but uh, it's not it's not very good. It's fine. Uh, let's see what you say. I take what you say with a grain of salt, since I don't agree. Disney ruined Star Wars somewhat tangential to my overall views on all media, but I can accept it because I feel that way about certain reviewers too. Because if you come at me with, you know, Star Wars and under Disney's thumb is awesome. I'm probably going to look askance at you as well. So we're just going to have to agree to disagree. We'll put our reasonable minds can differ patches on our shoulders and we'll shake it out uh, on that particular topic. Shauna, you have a blast. You enjoy it and have fun on the galactic star cruiser. I hope it doesn't cost you a mortgage to go, but you know, for the rest of us, We'll we have other vacation plans. Yeah, no, I'm never going to take. You love it, you love it. I am on a regular show every Sunday on the Bitcast with somebody that believes the Last Jedi is the finest Star Wars ever made, and uh, we get into it from time to time. Nicholas Starro with a super chat. I kind of hope the stranger is Soramon. Uh, this isn't specifically spoilers. After all, he was a good guy for a long time. Don't think it will be with all. Uh, it will be with all on the nose. Uh, would be fun though. <clears throat> I have some bad news for you, Nick. <laughs> they um they they are bad at not telegraphing um which is primarily their their major problem in season one because they thought their finale was a revelation and it was not uh and if you if you take that away uh it really falls apart as an episode and certainly as a culmination of a season and i think that's what we felt uh in my in my living room while we watched this but we're gonna get to that Star Wars has been dead for years is one of the comments here. We're, you're not going to make me cry this morning, all right? You're not going to do it. Um, I mean, Andor's good. Andor's and, good. I'm going yeah. to take Andor to the bank. Andor, I, eventually, I, I plan on watch. I want to watch the whole thing from start to finish. I don't like the... even. I know it's like consolidated three I told you there's three episode movies. Yeah. Uh, even then, I still just want to do the whole thing in one shot so i could i could give a proper analysis of it this week to week thing actually hurt rings of power for me even more because you're so unsatisfied at the end and you're like i just wasted all that time <laughs> i that's that's an hour i'm not getting back i could have you know done something else there folks leave in the chat the popular media items video games books movies television or otherwise that you were excited about you got into and at the end you said why god why what am i doing with my life uh, I would like to hear about things that really disappointed you in the pop culture media. Obviously, people disappoint. Your job can disappoint. Not interested in those. I'm interested in things that try to tell you stories. Then you go, oh, my God, that was it? Because I think that was about where me and my daughter were on the couch. Uh, <laughs> going, 
what? <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Brit, people are allowed to like non-good things. Of course they are. I like plenty of non-good things, but I won't oh, yeah. try to go out and evangelize their goodness. Uh, I confess I'm a sucker for Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick. First of all, Pitch Black is awesome. You Love and Chronicles of Riddick is uh, understandable. It has a great deal of reach, uh, but it does exceed its grasp. Uh, I have and will wanted them uh, watch them plenty of times. However, they are not great movies. Pitch Black, I, I will fight you on Pitch Black being great. Pitch Black is great. <laughs> I really love Pitch Black, if you can't tell. I, uh, I can but, tell. <laughs> but uh, Chronicles of Riddick is okay. And then Riddick is just Pitch Black again, if you're interested in that one. Um, so you can check those out. This is great. The only good sci-fi now is Lawyers and Dragons. You see, you're just kissing our butts. But go. I accept it because it feels good. Although it's a fantasy. Lawyers and well, really, anything that has the word dragon in it is a sure winner right now this fall, I think. So, Pitchback yeah. is good because Vin Diesel barely talked. I'm not going to disagree with this take. Not going to disagree. He is better in smaller doses. Absolutely. Uh, Game of Thrones, obviously. Yes. The easy pick for disappointed me. What have I done with my life? But I can't, de I can't deny it because certainly at the end of season eight, I'm looking at it going, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I watched all of the first seven episodes of Rings of Power in one go. It worked well for binging. think I'd be disappointed if I watched one episode a week. Yeah. You want to talk about pacing problems. Uh, Rings of Power definitely had them. Merlin on BBC. That's a, that's a show I haven't thought of in a long time. Uh, how did Merlin end? Such a great show. I really like Merlin, but how did it end? final episode. Oh, is that right? Horrendous I remember. I must have dropped off. Yeah. The entire series was fantastic. And it was like, it was really well done for like, would, 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 very much was a low budget or it seemed low budget, but it, like the execution of it was great. And then the rumor was, is that they intended on coming back for a, a final season, but BBC ended it. So the ending we got was atrocious. Oh, one and, early. Okay. And, but it what like there is an ending there. It's just terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's it's uh okay. I don't know well, what the decision was that, that was a bad move. Yeah, yep. I think that can definitely happen. Uh I remember you want you want some young hogue storytelling. I remember uh, signing a petition to try to get a uh, Farscape season five um, because Farscape was one of my favorite sci-fi shows and it ended it ended on the main characters being obliterated. Well, I, I was I, I was hanging out with Gigi Edgeley this weekend at the Comic-Con and she says they're working on something uh, new. On Farscape? Possibly. God, God help us. It's <laughs> what does the modern Farscape look like? I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. Well, okay. I will tell you that Farscape was absolutely one of my favorites. If you guys haven't seen Farscape, it is some of the weirdest sci-fi that's ever been spent money on. Uh, you'll also get a great deal from, I know a lot of people call in for hangouts here, uh, from the wonderful country of Australia. All of space is Australian uh, in the world of Farscape, <laughs> which adds a certain amount of exoticness. Uh, I believe, and uh, it has some of the earliest really significant plot-changing serialization and storytelling to go along with, like, the Babylon 5s of the world that that, that TV had actually used and, and done things with. You've got time jumps, you've got uh, character loss, you've got clones, you've got all sorts of stuff in Farscape. Um, and uh, I couldn't recommend it more, but, but... 
It's super weird, y'all. It's very weird. <laughs> it's super weird. It's very weird. Uh, Pollyanna, after humiliating an awful experience with my ex teaching me D&D, &D, oh no, I swore never again despite always being interested. Law Lawyers and Dragons inspired me to reach out to an old friend and try again, and it's been great. Happy to hear it. Bringing people to Dungeons and Dragons. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. That's great. Yeah, and I think people, if, if you are at all confused about what we've been doing in Trees of Eternity, folks have sent me messages to say they really like that Natalie, the lawyer chick, one, had, was having her first game with us on Saturday. Two, because of scheduling conflicts, we didn't have a chance to brief her at all. So she is learning live uh, on that episode. And uh, we're like explaining initiative and armor classes and all this stuff. And the, the comments and the messages I've gotten is like, that was great. I understand why you're rolling occasionally now. It's like, all right, cool. You know, but it also goes to show how far you, everybody else has come on the team to be able to explain it now. <laughs> I was going to say, David, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but... I haven't seen it yet. I only popped in a couple of minutes. You're going to die when Rob jumps in to explain concepts. <laughs> it's like, we did it. <laughs> we did it. Rob's like, well, here's how initiative works. And like, this is why... You yeah, it's like, all right. Okay, cool, cool. Cool. <laughs> Uh, Brett Farscape should have been on HBO. It really needed the more freedom to explore its ideas. I'm concerned about what that creative what? team would have done with more freedom uh, at that point in time. Uh, but yes, I hear you. I do hear you because it was a poor fit for Body Hammer and Sci-Fi Channel. And yes, I remember the executive's name that canceled it because, like I said, I was in the petition group to get it back. It's the only time I've ever engaged in a real populist kind of uh, movement for a TV show. <laughs> By God, did we get a movie out of it. And the movie was fabulous. And I will tell you this. It's 25 years later or whatever. I still have my hoodie. Maybe I'll wear it on stream. I still have my hoodie that says Farscape, the Peacekeeper Wars, being a part of that. So, <laughs> Farscape. Rings of power? No, this is now a Farscape episode. <laughs> Screw all the rest of the articles. Let's talk about Ben Browder. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about stuff that makes us all happy. <laughs> Babylon Five was awesome. I've recently rewatched it. Well, now that's an interesting one. That's the reverse of what uh, David was just describing with Merlin. Clearly, the Hangouts is going to go the full half hour because this is just the level of control I have with my show. Uh, so Babylon Five had the reverse, which is that they were supposed to be canceled. Everybody thought they would be canceled at the end of season four. So they run the last two years of plot lines in season four, which makes it ridiculously jam-packed and awesome. They get renewed for a last season, and season five is like, so we've got a space base, and um, stuff happens on it. <laughs> and it's like, it's still cool. Like, it's still, it's still the same writer's room. You still got, for instance, Ron Moore. From Battlestar Galactica doing some stuff. You still got other people in there doing some stuff, but like it's not great. It's not the best. Babylon 5 is really four seasons long. Anyway, these are these are my thoughts, not yours. Yeah. That's how I always felt about Supernatural when Supernatural was supposed to end. When was what year was Supernatural supposed to end at? Was it like six and ten and thirteen? I think it was the end of season five. Okay. Was where it was it was supposed to end, and then it got picked up, and it was like a really great ending originally. It's funny these shows that are a little bit concerned about being canceled often have often have like four or even five great endings, and then for whatever reason, this is just the nature of the TV gods. 
you, the actual ending when they actually run out of money and they actually have to stop things is usually like the worst of the of the choices. And my thought process on this is there's a, there's a show I love. I've showed that I have the poster up in my office uh, called Chuck. And Chuck thinks it's going to get canceled about 50 times. Um, Chuck gets saved by Subway one season. Chuck gets saved by other people. And I, you're watching all this and they have a great ending. And then 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 they have a not great ending that pisses off a lot of people which, uh, at the end of that show. Which now opens it up for, oh, we got to get a movie. You know, we got to do a, 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 <laughs> what is a Peacock video. Zachary Levi is too damn famous now. No, he's 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 willing to do it. It's to get in the studio to do it. He's really? talked about it. Yeah, he's talked about the Chuck movie. Oh, we'll get it. We'll yeah. get it going. You and me, David. We're gonna start the petition Farscape style. We're gonna right. make it happen. Every Lawyers and Dragon is gonna be sponsored by. Let's get a Chuck movie made. <laughs> um, and uh, Chuck yeah, moviemade.com. Chuck moviemade.com <laughs> sponsored by Lawyers and Dragons. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a fun follow. It's taking uh, us back to the Bible. <laughs> that's right. Somehow Rings of Power has led us to discussing Babylon 5, Farscape, and Chuck because we are definitely not nerds, David. <laughs> no, definitely not. And to not prove that, let's dive deep into the world of J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> Shameless transition. Woo! <laughs> it's that, you know, it's the freedom of not having a hat on. I'm just out, I'm just out there now. Right. Uh, Los Angeles Times. With a very interesting and salient question, Amazon's The Rings of Power is a bona fide hit, says them. Why doesn't it feel like it? Hmm. We might have a problem with our premise, folks. Let's see what Los Angeles Times does with it. David, just jump in with any thoughts you have at all as we go through at least a few bits of this. In the lead up to its premiere this summer, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power might have been best known for its extravagant price tag. The first season of the highly anticipated Prime Video series, which wraps up with its eighth episode Friday. So this is I think it's the Thursday before last week's episode. Cost a whopping $700 million to produce, including to buy the TV rights, making The Rings of Power the most expensive television show ever. Have you noticed that this number keeps trickling down in every report? Have you have you noticed that like it was called a billion dollar show and then it was right. a, I think it was an eight hundred million dollar show and now it's a seven hundred million dollar show I, I I have noticed this because I follow these articles and I find that someone somewhere is clearly lying. <laughs> it's like well I mean you can you can have fun with Hollywood math right It's like well technically we spent eight hundred million but two hundred million of it was for sets we're going to use next year. So we don't have to count it against this season or whatever. I mean, like, this is the kind of stuff that you can do if you're not being asked pertinent questions. Besides the appeal of seeing a new on-screen take on J.R.R. Tolkien's fantastic Middle Earth, this eye-popping sum is what stoked the curiosity of at least some viewers. And here we will see the caliber of the interviewee that Los Angeles Times is going to use in this article. I heard through the grapevine that Amazon had invested a lot of money in production, said Art Bellario, a 39-year-old Los Angeles resident who first encountered Tolkien's The Hobbit is required reading in fifth grade. So seeing how these resources have been put towards a series was really kind of the draw. Hi, yeah. Art. Okay. Hey, hey yes. Art. Uh... You're in the Los Angeles Times for this take. I was really interested in how Jeff spent a billion. So were we all. <laughs> a fan of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings film, film trilogy, he thinks Amazon's investment has paid off. I'm sure based on the bottom line. I'm finding it quite enjoyable, said Bellario. Visually, it's great. All the money in production shows more so than any other series that I've seen. It looks expensive. Certainly the first two episodes. 
That the Rings of Power is, as Times TV critic Robert Lloyd described in his review, visibly expensive is perhaps the one thing viewers can agree on. Woo! Even though this is a generally positive piece on the Rings of Power, that, that's a little shade. Not a lot of agreement out there on the internet on this one. Otherwise, it's no surprise that a long gestating TV show based on the mythology behind a beloved fantasy series has garnered mixed reviews from audiences. In the main, critics have been more positive according to the review aggregation site, Rotten Tomatoes, and Metacritic. You know, sometimes I'm down on myself in this space, Dave, and I say, you know, I'm not a real journalist. I'm just looking at things like the Rotten Tomatoes and calling other articles as sources and things like that. But other times I think, you know, honestly, that appears to be what the main headlines are doing. You know, it's just the spin. Well, the it's funny. Story spin. We went to Rotten Tomatoes last week. We, we looked at this and I said, you know, it doesn't even indicate where that number is coming from. And we can't tell what episodes they saw. We're not getting everyday episode reviews for every episode of Rings of Power or any other show, really. Um, so it's like, okay, yes, they like the super expensive episodes. Amazon knew what it was doing there, right? Because you want to be really callous. Amazon puts all this money in the top two episodes, has all this magic and CGI and stuff, and it looks really cool. And that's what they send out to reviewers. That's what they put in theaters. People review these things. And then that's what's important. That's the number that's set next to a giant cartoon tomato to set your, you know, how you should think about this series. And who cares what the next six episodes do? Amazon, for its part, getting back to what the chat was talking about, has been touting the Rings of Power's successes. The studio announced that the Rings of Power broke prime video viewership records when more than 25 million people watched on the first day the series was available. More recently, Amazon Studios head Jennifer Salky told Variety that they are cresting towards 100 million customers having watched. Question mark. And she anticipated viewership to grow with the show's final episodes. It might grow into the end, but let's see who comes back for two. Um, but yes, yeah, so this, so this is the quote. Los Angeles Times actually quotes this. Cresting towards 100 million customers having watched. You want to tell me what that stat actually is, David? I can't tell. Not good. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, here's it's, the... it's not positive. It's not, it's, this isn't, I, I don't, I don't here's believe the anything they're saying at this point. You just think they're straight up lying? I think my, they're just so straight as up a lawyer, lying. As a lawyer, my premise is always that whatever they're saying is the truth. It's just that you can't see it from the right angle, generally speaking, Fair. in the media. So I look at 100 million customers having watched. I say, well, okay, how many minutes are there? You got you got giant ads on your screen. How many accidentally click on it? Does that count? Oh, uh, but also, how much overlap is there, right? Because, yeah, look, we've had a successful YouTube channel. We have 8,500,000 views or something like that, which is sweet. But I would never deign to tell you that I've had 8 million viewers, right? Because a lot of you, regulars, you pop in here, you give me those views, you come in here, you chat with Hangouts and things like that. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if this isn't just the aggregate total of views they are seeing across all episodes, which is not unique, right? Yeah, it's, so, it makes it sound like it's unique people. It does. This, this quote is in, it's designed to make you think 100 million people have popped their heads in. I'm not positive on that. And that's the kind of thing you can do when you control your statistics entirely. Um, is I could tell you, oh, we've had 8 million viewers. 8 million viewers on the Hoaglaw YouTube channel. 8 million. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty cool. Channel's pretty cool, but it's not 8 million of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The numbers are impressive, says the Los Angeles Times. 
And Amazon is delighted, according to sources familiar with the data, who linked some of the strong viewership boon to Prime Video hosting Thursday night football in the same window. I want to know the quote you got that resulted in them talking about Thursday night football at the time you asked them about the ratings of Rings of Power. I want to see exactly what they said there because I think they might have snowed you a little Los Angeles times. Um, but looking at this, again, remember last week when we talked about the, I think it was a Hollywood Reporter article, what we were hearing from internal sources on that side of the, this is the journalistic outlets was that Amazon was very upset about these things, which Amazon denied, that Amazon was upset about the House of the Dragon specifically. The streamer is clearly in this for the long haul as well, having committed to a five season story. I have seen this reported everywhere. I'm not sure that they, no company would commit to hundreds of millions of dollars for five seasons if it's not working out. I can't imagine Amazon is just blindly committed to doing this for five years. Do you know anything more about this, David? I hope it ends this year. <laughs> <laughs> that it's not going to do because as we already talked about, they're already, yeah, they're already in season, season two. two. Yeah, season two is already happening. But hey, uh, there could be some kind of divine intervention here. And they realize, uh, hey, we need to redo a lot of this stuff. This is horrible. They um, could ax the showrunners. That is a possibility. They could ax the showrunners. I mean, look, if dumb D&D, oh, uh, &D, you know, from Game of Thrones, <laughs> I almost called them dumb and dumber, but I, well, I want to be clear. Um, could get fired from Lucasfilm after Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. This is worse than Game of Thrones season eight. This is bad. Ooh, now that's a poll. All right, hang this on. This is bad. I, you know what? Because at least it all built to something. It wasn't satisfying, but they did get to an ending. This doesn't. Okay. This takes... Uh, eight hours to do what they could have done in 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah, this is why I wanted to have you on. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, okay. For comparison, says Los Angeles Times, who, having done its duty to try to buoy the rings of power, brings in the elephant in the room. This is, this is I have to admit, this is very unfortunate for Amazon, right? If, if rings of power releases in its own three-month window, you get these numbers. It's like, yeah, those are, I mean, the numbers they're talking about are probably like big Netflix win kind of numbers. They accidentally launched directly against like the most popular kind of sci-fi fantasy thing that has been out in years. Right. Um, and that, that leads to this part of the article. Uh, House of the Dragon premiered to an audience of 10 million people on its first day, expanding to 20 million with delayed multi-platform viewership. Okay, so here's where I have to call the Los Angeles Times out a little bit. So they're using this 25 million people watched on the first day the series was available. They wait a paragraph, and then they give you this 10 million number on HBO with an expansion. This number back here is the equivalent to Amazon's, right? Amazon doesn't have a television channel. So this number is HBO. <laughs> and then expanding to 20 million with delayed multi-platform viewership. Literally everyone that watches it on HBO Max is delayed multi-platform viewership, even if it's a couple of minutes late, right. right? Because it's not a live, it's not a live stream of HBO through that service. So they're trying to make this seem closer than it is. And they'll give up the ghost in another paragraph, spoiler alert. Uh, but I, I hate this. And this is what you've also seen from various folks that are fighting over these ratings online, 
which is that a lot of what we get, first of all, they're fake ratings. They're people trying to figure out things with analytic pings and whatnot, uh, but that they separate out House of the Dragon entirely from a streaming show because it has a linear analog. And HBO is like such a small portion of the House of the Dragon viewership, it seems very disingenuous to me. But people are streaming that. <laughs> yes, you're yeah, streaming that. You're you're watching streaming. on HBO Max, generally yeah. speaking. According to Nielsen's streaming rankings, which in terms of industry stuff are not thought of to be the strongest. Nielsen ratings are the traditional metric for linear television. These are when you go and look at the stories, is what you would have a family, a Nielsen family that did the notebook that they kept on top of the TV. It was what ad spend was based on forever and ever. Uh, they've tried to get into the digital space to some in effect. The Rings of Bower topped House of the Dragon in total minutes streamed for both the week of August 29th, September 4th, where the Prime Video Series debuted at number one and September 5th uh, to 11th. Now, a couple things you might note here. I did not get this Los Angeles Times article from a month and a half ago. Uh, I got it from Thursday. Uh, and so this is all Amazon has shared. And one thing that you can usually take from marketing of these things is that if they had better news to share, they would share it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, this this is, it launches strong. It uses all its money. It gets all those reviews. And then we spend four weeks with the dummies in Numenor. Um, and that's not, I can't imagine, the strongest part of their ratings on this. As the Los Angeles Times points out, these numbers paint an incomplete picture. There's generally no way to verify a streamer's viewership numbers. And Nielsen's streaming ranking counts minutes streamed on US TVs, meaning viewership on other devices, linear TV, phones, laptops, and the global audience, not included. Yeah, really useful. Very useful metric. That the Rings of Power is a hit is not up for debate. Thank you, our betters. I don't know. Okay. All right. Don't you dare debate it. I, I feel like everything's up for a debate, Los I, Angeles Times. I agree. But how big of a hit and what even makes a hit in such a crowded entertainment landscape is harder to pinpoint. Wait, hold on. That's a walk back, my fair journalistic friend. You can't debate it's a hit, but what is a hit really is not is not the rhetorical sequence you think it is. It's a hit, but we don't know what a hit is. What is it? <laughs> well, what is let's let, let us discuss here at our Algonquin Roundtable. What is a hit? In particular, the always elusive water cooler hit that drives in-person and online conversation has become increasingly hard to predict, much less cultivate, as the number of TV series and platforms has proliferated and the entertainment audience has fragmented into smaller and smaller pieces. Network procedurals and sitcoms, for instance, regularly draw large audiences in absolute terms uh, than cable series like Succession that drive intense Twitter chatter and media attention. Yes, you don't really have a lot of dissection of the latest, uh, I don't even know, sitcom Every time I watch sports on one of these channels, I'm like, none of this TV makes any sense to me, and I don't know where I live. Um, so, I, no, we're not talking about sitcoms or, you know, Chicago Hope Miami. Uh, according to Parrot Analytics, which measures the audience demand for television and film by tracking a number of factors, we got to really get more specific on this, such as social media engagement and downloads, including pirated versions. No. <laughs> okay. All right. They're tracking pirated versions. The Rings of Power averaged 30.5 times more demand than the average TV show in the U.S. during the first 30 days after its launch. What is the denominator for average TV show? Like, are you using everything from infomercials on up? I don't know. This puts the series at the high end of what Pirate Analytics classifies as outstanding. Um, or we should squawk it like a parrot. A level reached by just the top 2.7% of all U.S. shows. Now, that sounds pretty good. 30 times. I can 
I can believe this. Rings of Power gets a lot of talk. Do every box I get from Amazon tells me to watch it. But wait, there's more. House of the Dragon, on the other hand, averaged 55 times more demand than the average show in the U.S. during its first 30 days of availability in Parrot Analytics' exceptional category. At their peaks, says the Los Angeles Times, clearly trying to carry some water for Amazon, House of the Dragon generated more than double the audience demand than the Rings of Power, according to Parrot. Oopsie. And your big problem is that the House of the Dragon costs like less than $200 million. Okay, not a small amount of money for you or I, uh, but certainly not Rings of Power money. But demand numbers, which can be considered more an indicator of interest than of viewership, are necessarily imperfect since not all platforms and fandoms are created equal. Plus, it's how series resonate with audiences, especially their most ardent fans that can shape their long-term destiny. Don't think that's wrong. And by that metric, the Rings of Power is holding its own. <sighs> Objection? <laughs> I... I I, it's it's funny, right? Because we're reading this article. It's entertainment. It doesn't matter. Los Angeles Times is doing whatever it wants. But they're just these kind of raw assertions. You can't fight that it's a hit. By that metric, the Rings of Power is holding its own. That's not a metric. It's kind this, of a philosophical stance. This but, article is a nothing burger of pandering to Amazon. It is, right? That's yeah. why I brought it up first to you. There's, there's, this is, this, this is, this article is not for us, the, the viewer or the consumer. This is to keep Amazon happy so that they have their access. I think so, too. So they but write a just to... positive article enough to keep Amazon happy. Yeah. Why is why aren't more people talking about it? With the, impl with the implied, you should be. Though vocal racist detractors of the Rings of Power casting of people of color has garnered the most attention and possibly harmed the show's online ratings to coordinate user reviews. That, so they, they grant Amazon's conceit here, right? This is the Los Angeles Times playing games. They grant Amazon's conceit here. Others have raised legitimate criticisms of elements, such as its pacing, its perceived adherence to Tolkien's lore. That perceived is doing some work. Perceived, yeah. And, <laughs> and now thread. Perceived. All right, Los Angeles Times, you go find us where we can learn about the magic rocks from Tolkien. Help us out. <laughs> and how its numerous storylines are not all equally compelling. This is definitely fair. All healthy matters to debate within a fandom. So even the Los Angeles Times saying... Okay, let's not forget that there, you know, it's 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 a racist thing. It says, you know, other people are actually talking about this show and saying things like, well, the pacing not might not be grand, and we don't know what's happening whenever Theo is on screen looking emo and longingly at a piece of metal that doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, that kind of stuff. The Los Angeles Times does grant that we're allowed to talk about these things, David. So it's very very nice of them to say. Among those who have been enjoying the pace of the show is Nick Grief. Notice that you won't have detractors on this from the randoms that they find on the streets of Los Angeles outside their headquarters. I get to engage with the world and engage with the characters, and I don't feel like I'm being inexorably pushed towards some culmination of events. This is one of those where I'd really like to know how they feel after the finale, because one of the main problems that I have with all sorts of things in this season is it's, like, so slow and meandering, and then, like, Every possible thing you could think would happen happens in like a half hour of the finale. Even though it's definitely going to happen, it doesn't feel like I'm being rushed towards it. I think that can be a challenge sometimes with some of these shows. Okay. A self-described fan of high fantasy, Grief also counts the show's diverse casting, which more accurately reflects the world we live in, as one of its strengths. If you're that hung up over what the people look like in your head, that's on you. You have to work through that for you. That's your problem. And kindly keep it off the internet. Nick, Grief doesn't exist. Oh, you think? <laughs> I, I just 
you know, for all of these news outlets to be like, oh, well, the fans, we don't want to hear from the fans. The fans are wrong. The fans are wrong. And then they cut to, well, why is this fan's claims legitimate, but everybody else is is wrong? I, my, I wouldn't say that they are lying about that because I'm an optimist on the journalistic side. But I would say that you could interview a number of people and just pick and choose who you want to make this to make this narrative. Um, and interestingly, Grief describes himself as, as what I am as compared to you, David, which is I'm not looking for canon specifically. I'm just looking for really, really good stories that are fun to watch. I would describe myself as the exact same. I, I'm, still, I'm still looking for those. I am still looking for those really, really good stories that are fun to watch. Right. Um, but we'll talk about that when we get to the, the showrunners. One of the challenges in watching this series is trying to figure out the connections, said Toops. Jacob Toops had been more interested in reconnecting with familiar Lord of the Rings characters. That's, that's all we get just randoms from the street. As I'm watching the show, I've also looked at articles trying to figure out which characters will be connected back to the movies or back into the plot of the Lord of the Rings. So one, the Lord of the Rings himself. Yeah. <laughs> Two, they're not using fake names, my man. They're, they're all the names that you get from the Lord of the Rings. When it when they say, you know, Elendil led the battle of the last lines, they mean Elendil. Isildur picked up his father's sword. Uh, These are that- all like said. That comment, that person didn't watch the show. Oh, no. That person, they, they didn't watch the show because all of these names are familiar. Every one of them is familiar, except for Halbrand, of course, because that's... Well, I mean, yes, Halbrand's brand new. Um, is he? <laughs> honestly, at this point, I'm just happy they didn't call him Noros or, or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a fan of the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's work since high school. Like, this is where you establish the credentials for the person you're quoting in your national publication. It's just like, I've I, 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 I seen the movies. It's cool. Lord of the Rings is cool. Guy who's seen the movies <laughs> provides hot take for the Los Angeles Times. Journalistic <laughs> integrity at its strongest. This is why you're here. <laughs> Nick enjoyed the research and theorizing about what's to come in the series, which he considers part of being in a genre fan community. But even fans who told the Times about turning to online sources to read up about the Rings of Power said they rarely engaged with strangers about the series, opting to discuss their thoughts and theories with friends and family instead. This paragraph is like, but why aren't we seeing any discussion online about this hit show that we aren't allowed to debate while they are talking to family and friends? A reasonable analysis of this might be like, why would this show be so different? House of the Dragon, I get about 6,000 tweets <laughs> when the episode drops. Why Why are these different? I don't, I don't know. The Los Angeles Times doesn't know. David's right. This is clearly a kind of like, we're going to say nice things about this show that they spent a lot of money on. This is shilling for Amazon. Um, and then uh, Bellario comes back and says, I do think that there should be rings of power in the series. This is their main criticism. This is designed to make it show it's balanced. Um, there aren't any rings of power. Well, he is in luck for the last 20 minutes of the show. So lots of rings of power. Do they in fact look like Jostin's high school rings? Yes, but still magic elven rings, according to the show. <laughs> uh, all right. So David thoughts on that Los Angeles times, uh, story. Why aren't people talking about it? You feel like why, that question was answered. Why aren't people talking about it? But also don't talk about it. Don't debate it. But also, why aren't they debating it? But you can't debate it. Nope, it's not debatable. It's a hit. You can't debate it. It's a hit. And you will like it. And if you don't like it, you're evil. And it Well, they, they yeah, they slant into that a lot. But I mean, they at least grant well, like I to me, the Los Angeles Times is also signaling that we're moving past the we're moving past the if you have a problem with this show, you must be a 
bad thinker. Um, they, the Los Angeles Times at least grants that second half of the sentence. And I expect that will all shift as we get further from this. And remember in that article we read last week, they said that they thought it would be a matter of years to film season two. Good luck with that. That means they don't know what they're doing. Well, <laughs> It's just, it's, they, they we don't, don't have to object doing. to lack of evidence on that, do we, David? Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's keep going. We're going to plow through. I actually want to hit these super chats first, uh, but we, we are on limited time. Pollyanna, much happier to think of all those fantastic shows like Babylon 5 and Farscape and Battlestar Galactica, and even Outlander. I agree, Pollyanna. I agree. Britt Cormier, dead giveaway. Someone is trying to BS you with stats. They come up with a stat that no one has ever used in the history of the world to prove their point. He has the most points scored with his left hand on Tuesdays. Yes. Ah, yes. That's the old That's the old called in from the ESPN van. Did you know this is the first time anyone has shut out this team in the second quarter in the month of October while also facing a quarter moon? Oh, boy. It's a Guinness World Record holder <laughs> for something. Melanie Chambers, I recently discovered Law Tube, Amber Heard, and Johnny Depp trial, which led me to Lawyers and Dragons, and I love it. I look forward to Saturdays, David, and you are brilliant. I love the fact you have guest players, and they have all been great. David is an unbelievable GM. You can check him out at Prototopics for even more GM shenanigans. Ian was fantastic on Saturday, and all of our guests have been great, even if they look a little scared when they first join us. <laughs> I said to Natalie on Saturday, I said, this is going to feel weird, but you're going to just plow through it. It's going to be great. <laughs> Thank you, uh, <laughs> all right. Do you want to hear from the showrunners? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I, yeah, they should just be shown. The That's door. a fair commentary. All right, folks. I just, I told you I would warn you. We're not going to be able to have this discussion without going over the events of the finale of Rings of Power. So if you want to hold to that purity, the, the mithril without alloy, uh, then now is the time to exit from uh, the, the stream and come back to hear David's comments on Rings of Power after you've been able to experience the same. Yeah, this we'll is going to be we'll, spoilery. Yeah, we'll give a little few seconds. We, there's no avoiding it for this. Um, so, <laughs> uh, people aren't diving off the stream. I That's don't, good. I, don't I think, think they're ready they for care. us to tear it apart. I don't think they care. <laughs> <laughs> they're here. Uh, they're here for the war. <laughs> by the way, Game of Thrones season seven and eight and Rings of Power deadlocked here. Two hundred votes and fifty-two percent, forty-eight percent. Get in your votes. Get in your thoughts. This could go either way, uh, which says something because Game of Thrones season seven and eight are bad. Um, okay. All right. Let us talk with the showrunners in the New York Times. New York Times. Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne have had to thread a difficult needle satisfying Tolkien diehards and average viewers, what we call normies. The finale gave everyone plenty to mull. Did it? Let's discuss. <clears throat> this interview includes spoilers. The Amazon prequel series, The Rings of Power, has always had to serve two masters, the most obsessive fans whose intimate knowledge of the J.R.R. Tolkien legendarium, nice word, has empowered them to call out any perceived transgressions and the general audience whose knowledge may run only as deep as the Peter Jackson films. Geeks alone won't pay off the first season's reported $715 million invoice. Could any of these numbers ever line up? Really? <laughs> Winning over those average viewers wasn't easy, though. Wasn't. I like this. This implies that it was accomplished. Uh, said Patrick McKay, one of series two, uh, one of the series two showrunners in a group phone call on Wednesdays. It seems such a heavy lift to go, no, you'll understand. You don't have to speak Elvish. Oh, my God. <laughs> David is going to collapse on screen, <laughs> folks. Please keep your eyes on the bottom box. Oh, no. 
This week's season finale neatly underscored the challenge when Halbrand, one of the apparent central heroes of the series thus far, I'd be really interested in knowing what they thought was heroic, was revealed to be the supervillain Sauron. David, did you know this would happen? I couldn't see it coming. The rug has been pulled from beneath me. Wait, am I am I confusing it? Because I thought Halbrand's like first or second line is looks can be deceiving. Oh, no? The, 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 the only other male actor in the show that doesn't have a name from canon was Sauron <laughs> the whole time. Oh, JJ, you got me again. <laughs> I I like to call him sexy Sauron because they literally have him like doing, speaking of Zachary, Levi, and Chuck, right? What is it in the uh, Tangled? You do the smolder. They got him like smoldering the crap out of all of his scenes. Oh, yeah. Galadriel, be my queen, baby. The worst part is like, I really like the actor. I like him like, too. I, I really liked the guy. And I thought it was a really good balance to Galadriel. But then when it's like, I am sorry, like, get out of here. Get out of here, bro. What are you doing? Uh, guys, if you haven't seen this, literally the way they arrive at this reveal, I, I was actually thinking about this for a number of weeks because it was obvious he was sore. And we could talk about why, because we've been dancing around it in the previous times we talked about this. Uh, but um, they literally have him look directly into camera with his face two thirds of the screen and yell, Sauron lives. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. And I think like, you don't say. <laughs> and we sure can talk about, about this. Okay, so we're going to get into it a little bit just outside of the article here for a second. Because here is the main problem that I see with the entire series. Is they built around this being a surprise. They built around two surprises. They built around the character that comes from the sky and lands next to the Harfoot Hobbit people as Gandalf. And they built to him being Sauron. And yes, I know we got a chat earlier about, hey, maybe he's a blue wizard. Maybe he's Sauron. Uh, no, no. He, he is specifically talking about uh, you follow your nose. He's making things into moths. He's doing all of these things that are not subtle to what we saw in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of, one of the really big problems is they try to hide this. And in my opinion, one of the things that happens through the rest of their series is that causes other characters to do really stupid things, right? Like, I don't think they intended to write Galadriel as just as ridiculously stupid as they did, but they wanted to hide any notion of how Brand is Sauron. Uh, and they wanted to make you think, primarily, that Gandalf is Sauron. And they're going to deny this, David. They're going to deny it hard, which is where I really laugh um, about the showrunners here. Uh, they're going to say, it, it, they're, we weren't trying to make a mystery and it's not necessary to enjoy the finale or the series. And it's like, you almost got swearing Hogue there because it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the, the entire structure of the finale is based around reveal, reveal. The first scene in your finale is these randoms that come in and tell and bow to Gandalf and say, you are our Dark Lord Sauron because that's the last card they have in their hand to try to keep this from you for the remainder of the episode because it's patently obvious. And I will tell you, I thought it was obvious from when you first meet him, but then you have him in episode three looking longingly at forges, which, you know, is obviously that's just Sauron's characteristic, right? He makes a ring at some point. So he just loves a forge. So he look, Oh, look at that fire making metal things. Yeah. In the very next episode, he's in prison. Hal Brand is, and he tells to Galadriel uh, in, in, you must learn their fear. You must give them what they need to overcome it. And through that, you will control them. This is his, this is his claim in prison. I'm like, I mean, 
Christ. <laughs> what, what, what are we doing? How is this subtle? But they kept it. They kept it like they weren't otherwise giving it up because I think the show is better if you know he's Sauron and you can actually detail manipulations and character if you're not trying to keep a J.J. Abrams mystery box until the very end where your design to make this happen is him yelling at her, right? This is the master manipulator. This is Sauron the fair, Sauron the deceiver. And essentially what happens in this finale is Galadriel says, wait a minute, I've heard that line before. Uh, get me a scroll, elf. Elf gets her a scroll. But there's no king of the Southlands at all. Is this the level of research you did before you launched a war with another people's country, Galadriel? I think oh, it is. A guy you just met five seconds ago. He declines saying he's the king. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, and, and so you have this kind of rapid um, uh, discovery, right? Galadriel hasn't suspected him for the entirety of the show. And then she hears one line from Celebrimbor and she's like, wait. And it's like, I, we're all in the room. Everybody, even the super fan of the show is in the room. And uh, going, no, that didn't feel right. That didn't feel organic at all. You don't have Galadriel second guessing him at all until this one moment. And then she goes ham. And it's like, oh, that feels wrong. Yeah, it feels uh, rushed and, and forced. It does. It feels very forced, doesn't it? It feels very forced. I, I think the, the, the real thing that they should have done was the audience should have known who Sauron was as soon as he showed up. And I think that would be it cool. It should be mystery boxing for the for the the actors or, or the the uh, characters. They should yeah. be trying to figure it out. Be in on uh, it. We call it, that dramatic it, irony, right? Yeah. Because, be in because on as it. a reader, when you're reading the books, you know who Sauron is and you know what Sauron's doing. You know, so we should also be able to watch that unfold because Sauron is the great deceiver. That's the cool part. That's Palpatine. He didn't you don't have anything here. <laughs> it's like he didn't deceive the fans. Galadriel figured it out after he slipped up. Oop, he, he messed up, you know? Yeah, you don't call Senator Palpatine, Senator Halbrand to be like, oh, it was actually the emperor all along. Yeah. Okay. It, it's Yeah, we know. It would have been much better to watch Sauron do evil for this, you know, for doing his evil instead of this. Yes, we're going to get to this, Lucentil. <laughs> uh, to be fair, the audience apparently did know who Sauron was. Yes, Facts. it's because they're poor at their craft. Yeah. Uh, had they intended that, I think you can structure the whole thing better. They did not intend this. They're going to they're going to deny it because they know damn well they did not pull this off. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. But the actual structure of the show and the finale, if you're going to feel good about the finale, is, oh, reveal. Oh, reveal. Because nothing else happens. They didn't spend the time to actually make a Rings of Power story. So you're just suddenly in a finished forge and Sauron just wakes up and is like, have you thought about alloys? <laughs> it's like, okay, great. And then they make some rings. Now that's stupid enough in and of itself because it makes no sense. Them calling Gandalf Sauron makes no sense. Gandalf believing that he's Sauron makes no sense. Gandalf turning to good makes no sense for even Nori's plot line because you didn't establish this connection that you could have done with decent writers making an arc. Then you get to Galadriel. Her request makes no sense. Her finding out makes no sense. Her reaction makes no sense. And then not telling anyone makes no sense. Yeah, you know, he had that idea for the rings. Let's keep going with that. Okay. Every little bit of it feels uh, either anticlimactic or flat out wrong. And that is coming from someone that is not in the shoes, regardless of what the New York Times would tell you, of someone that needed this to match up with J.R.R. Tolkien. I needed something to be internally consistent and to feel good as a story. Um, and then I don't care as much about it connecting directly uh, with that. Um, I don't love it. I would prefer that they had done the homework and gotten things right. But 
if you tell me an internally consistent story, I can look at it like, you know, a, a Marvel comic book that pretends Captain America is in, a, you know, a, a film noir, you know, what, whatever. Like, you can do that. You can separate these things out in your head. But this isn't internally consistent, and that's what gets me. David, I know, feels strongly about it, not being Lord of the Rings at all, uh, and I can't say he's wrong. Yeah, this is bad. I'm very yeah. concerned about season two, though. I think season two, they're going to go uh, too far to another side now and just make things horrible. I mean, especially on some of the other articles that are that are coming out where they're like, oh, Halbrand, I mean, Sauron is going to be the Joker next season. Or he's going to be like Walter White, guys. <laughs> Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Can I just say that I actually laughed out loud when he shows up in his, like, I don't even know, Neil from the Matrix coat, which we don't know where he got, and, like, descends into the heavy metal rock band cover of Mordor. I, I, I was like, you know what? Smolder away. Uh, I, 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 I got nothing, man. They clearly I'm, I'm... don't understand Sauron's, like, <laughs> shtick. They don't. Sauron, it, 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 Sauron is, what's his power? is power and it's supposed to be power corrupts that's the whole point not that he tried to wife up galadriel and it didn't work out <laughs> so now he's Wanna evil again world, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's uh it's ridiculous well and, and then that's so sauron like like what i love about palpatine and, and the, the the plot that i really think works throughout the prequels which is his rise to power um, I like that. I like machinations. I like seeing how good intentions can be driven against you. I like, I would have liked to have seen him, you know, flatter Celebrimbor and actually come across as legitimate <laughs> during yeah. this process of making the rings of power. And, uh, it all falls so flat. And it's like, you actually go back and you think about it. You're like, why does it fall so flat at the end? It falls so flat because it's so rushed. It's so fast. It's like, he needs to insinuate himself in this culture. Like that's his deal. And he doesn't do that. He wakes up one morning and says, yo, try tin. Uh, and it's like, okay, that's not terribly effective. And then when faced with Galadriel basically having an old scroll that says there's no king, the master deceiver, Sauron, is like, I guess I've been made. I'm going to scream at you in your mind now. Uh, that isn't, what? No. He, he, that's not a strong enough argument from Galadriel. You got, you got some plays here, man. <laughs> Uh, I really thought he was going to get revealed in the finale, but I thought it was going to be in an internal way. Um, you know, like he goes to the Palantir or whatever and, and you know, talks to his works or, or something that shows it to us so that we have a season of him being, uh, you know, Baltar or something within the within the main group. I didn't think he would reveal himself to Galadriel and then, you know, get off to Mordor. Because what are they going to do there? It's going to be it's going to be Sauron versus Adar. That's what we're gonna. That and yeah, and then he we're gonna get him taken over and taken out. Uh, Adar, Adar. That that's what we're gonna get next. Um, it's gonna be horrible, but they're gonna try and go this uh, anti-hero Sauron. Everyone, that's what. God we're help get. me if they go with heroic Sauron. Anti-hero Sauron, or worse, uh, super psychotic, abusive Sauron is what we're gonna get next. It's either one or the other. There is no middle ground here. We're either going to get where you're rooting for Sauron in some way, even though he's a genocidal psycho. Um, you know, they have to make him. They want the audience to like him. But yeah. you can go either one or two ways. They're either going to be super sadistic evil or or uh, antihero. My God, if they go Raylo with freaking Sauron, the Dark Lord, I'm going to have an issue.
Well, well, Caliborn's dead, apparently. Her husband, who's alive and in the show. I and in the, and, well, and not in the show, but in all the movies. I believe he's disappeared, but yes. I don't know why. It's like, well, why why, why doesn't she have a husband? Look, I don't... What's, what's bad with this show, and, and I think the, the worst part of this show and the worst part of most shows that are bad or have bad endings is when the fans can write better than what we see on screen – you have a problem. I don't think there's any question. There's and any number of fans I would have handed this to first. You know, there are some shows that have an ending or some movies that have an ending. And when you walk out, you're satisfied. You're not trying to come up with alternative endings. But when the fans are trying to come up with, well, we could have done this or they could have done that. or They could have done this. You I don't think you've done a good job. I can't disagree. Let's see a little bit about what they say before we lose you. When Hal Brand, one of the apparent central heroes of the series so far, was revealed to be the supervillain Sauron. Supervillain is just the wrong term, by the way. It's not a comic book. It put to rest what, for many fans, had been a season-long guessing game. I hope not, fans. But how to make those big moments land on multiple levels when much of the audience may not even realize they were supposed to be guessing. Now, that's the intro to the New York Times stuff. I, I want to actually go over to a different article right now uh, because they're going. we're going to compare these answers. Rings of Power Sauron reveal was not meant to be a big shock. Get out of here. Yep. Get out of here is a good response. Uh, now, in a recent interview on Amazon's The Official Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power podcast. Wow, that seems like you went over their character limit. Showrunner J.D. Payne explains that the Sauron reveal was never meant to be a big shock to the audience. Liar. <laughs> the creator explains that they always wanted the audience to think Halbrand was Sauron as soon as he appears, which would create a much richer dynamic between Halbrand and Galadriel. Do you realize the level of storytelling you could use if you wanted your audience to think Halbrand was Sauron as soon as he appears? Like the machinations, the, the little manipulations that you could actually add to make any of this story make sense that they don't because they're hiding the ball? Mystery boxing him, put them into a corner. They thought it was going to work. I want to talk about one more thing on this. This is quoting from the showrunner, which is to go back on your initial comment, surprise, even though you were sus, God help me, showrunner, we were really not about the big twist, the big surprise, the big shocker. That was never the goal here. I think we were much more interested in creating characters and relationships and dynamics that were engaging and hopefully emotionally rich and full of conflict and hopefully delight and warmth chuckles. Hopefully you get shown the door. Well, here's the interesting thing, right? Because I think there are aspects of the show that work. I think, as I said, the music works. I think some of the, you know, the, the awe, the wonder and awe shots of various kingdoms and things that we're interested in. That's work. not them. The one, yeah, the one, this is, this is what I'm saying is like what they want credit for is the thing that I think everybody basically agrees isn't there which is this is not a character-driven show. It reads much more like a war chronicle or an encyclopedia or an appendix, which makes sense given their source material, but it doesn't have characters. You tell me what Galadriel's motivation is or what her arc is throughout the show. Can, can, you, can you, David? I, I, I can't. I, right? The only thing we know about her is she wants Sauron dead. I thought episode one was an awesome setup for her for the direction the show was going to go. And then the second episode two started, I was like, oh, they have no idea what they're doing. Huh. Oh, they have no idea what they're doing, you know? Yeah, I think episode one is stronger. Um, but yeah, Galadriel doesn't change from we want Sauron dead, we want Sauron dead, we want Sauron dead, we want Sauron dead. Sauron lives! I want you dead. Okay, great. Nice. Yeah, she has not gone through a character progression at all. <laughs> 
Yeah, she's, well, the same. she's the same as when we started. She's still angry, and and that's just her. Her stick is still the same. She's the absolute same, and Nori is the same courageous and heartwarming, heartfelt person that believes in strangers and walking off the trail. Um, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, I think the closest thing we get to progression is Alrond and Durin, who uh, not incoincidentally are probably most people's favorite part of um, the Rings of Power season. I would the argue. The dwarves are the only thing that I liked, but then they still kind of... They the dwarves, we did not need... They disappeared. We, putting the Balrog in and having him light up like that <laughs> ah, in the dark. <laughs> this is, it is reminds, so stupid. It reminds me of uh, what, like Darth Maul lighting his lightsaber on the hologram at the end of Solo. It's like, right? What? Yeah, what? <laughs> What are you doing? Like, oh, I'm so scared of the lightsaber. You're a hologram. You're a thousand planets away. Aren't you in a room by yourself, dude? Yeah. What, what is? What are I, you doing? I, I always thought that was weird too. <laughs> no, the Balrog was by far one of the bigger kind of mistakes, in my opinion, because like, if you don't intend to use him, what are you doing? That is like as straight a member berry as you can get. That is the and, <laughs> yeah, and it's instead of like, oh, well, we're not we're not doing the Jackson movies, but that's the Balrog from the Jackson movies. <laughs> well, that's the biggest lie I think before this. Uh, uh, is that we're not doing the Jackson movies and like literally every kind of major uh, poetic plot point or thing that they do in the series on the whole is just calling back to the Peter Jackson. They they do the uh, evil is but a shadow. They do the I, I wish this hadn't come to me. I, they do the follow Bill your note. Gandalf with one of his lines. Yeah, they, they do the follow your note. They, like they do just that heck. The actual sword that is corrupting the Theo kid, which is clearly a misstep because you don't need him in the plot at all, yeah. is is a ring analog straight up, right? He's drawn to it. He asked, he talks to the elf that I can never remember the name of. I'm sorry, uh, and says, names. "I says I need to bring it. I need to bring it back to me." And of course, because this is the Rings of Power, and not the not uh, the J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, he says, "Sure, kid. You think it's like heroin? Here you go." <laughs> now it turns out it's just a hand axe. Uh, but who? What, what are you gonna do? <clears throat> Episode two, the minute you see this guy and he says a thing that Galadriel later says to Frodo, uh, you go, I bet that's Sauron. You know what? My man, help explain to me how that logic works. <laughs> Galadriel, who is a character that speaks to Frodo in three and a half thousand years, uh, remembers a thing that somebody said to her. That means the, th the guy is Sauron? What? No, it's because you're just absolutely signposting it throughout. You don't even know why people knew he was Sauron the whole time. You're going to have, hopefully, as great and valid a viewing experience as someone who has no idea until it suddenly happens. No, I think you cost us that experience. If you suspect him all the way, that is a totally great way to watch the show, in my opinion, where you're engaging with a whole layer that maybe somebody else doesn't engage with. So they have officially changed their stance from when they wrote it. I'm not going to. I'm. That's, I don't, that's I don't call people call liars. Back. It's yeah, but it's like that. The entire structure is built around reveals in the finale. You you thought you thought you were building a mystery box, um, and you, you you failed. Um, so let's let's keep that in mind because the New York Times we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a little bit. It's a question we're still searching for the answer to," said the series' other showrunner J.D. Payne, who is also on the phone. It's something we've talked about a lot throughout the process. That again is is meeting people at both the generalized and lore knowing levels. The solution has been to attempt to tell a story that allows both levels of fandom to meet in the middle with clear emotional dynamics for everyone and extra lore, extra lore, <laughs> different extra. lore, new facts for the hungry book readers. 
For example, the writers originally planned to have Galadriel pursue rumors about a possible successor to Morgoth, whose existence and identity was still unknown. Okay, that sounds better. But then McKay and Payne realized they could make Galadriel's mission much more specific and more emotional. They worked backwards to develop her personal stakes, tying Sauron to the death of her brother Finrod in one scene in the first episode. Even if you know nothing about Tolkien's legendarium, you can tell, okay, this guy Sauron is bad news. Oh my God. <laughs> he killed her brother, oh. man. Bad news. If you do know, you'll be like, oh, Finrod was killed by werewolves that were controlled by Sauron. What? <laughs> well, Finrod was actually killed by werewolves, right? And like wherever in the legendarium. Well, we wouldn't know that from the show. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. Taking a break from production for season two outside London. Remember, they have pulled up stakes and are no longer in New Zealand, and it's going to be studio only, which is always a sign of faith and delight from your parent producing company. And Payne discussed several revelations from the finale, including the big news about Sauron. These are edited excerpts from the conversation. Ooh, would love that full transcript. As you know, there are multiple Saurons. Sauron who seeks redemption, Sauron the deceiver, Anatar the Lord of Gifts. These are, these are the same New York Times. Good try, though. Which Sauron is this? Uh, those are all ideas we talked about. The idea he went through a period where he wanted redemption. The idea that he is a deceiver in disguise and an oh opportunist. God. Sauron might say to Galadriel, look... I was ready to walk away. You pulled me into this. But if you look at the chain of events, he's been greasing the wheels. He's been encouraging her. <laughs> he's both. He's redemption. No, actually, he never was. He was manipulating the whole time. He can't even decide what he is in this paragraph. You could make a really good case that he was at a low point on that raft. By the way, David, I would had to admit, I thought I was going to get an answer for, hey, by the way, the one question I have had niggling in my mind is this dude's clearly sore on. Why is he in the middle of the ocean on a raft? <laughs> nope. If you thought you were getting those answers from the Rings of Power, you are sadly mistaken. They might save it for the end of season five, for all I know. But Sauron was, in fact, on a raft. And then the magic golden ticket showed up. So this is a luck-based thing. Sauron's master plan is, hey, hey, that's a queen of the elves. We'll go with that. They're going <laughs> to do it where it's like, you know, maybe he was, th th that's how they're going to bleed into him doing an anti-hero thing. Like, oh, after Morgoth fell, Sauron tried to go good, and then Galadriel made him go bad, and then she rejected him, and he was a sad boy, so now everyone has to suffer. Sauron's an incel. Yes, they turned him into an incel. <laughs> they did. Galadriel. You know, here he is. He's nice be... and sweet. Be my queen. Be my well, queen. What's his argument? No. It's like, it, it, it's, it's only together. You can hold me to the light or whatever. Oh, it's like, God. It's like, it's like, that's a hell of a proposal. Uh, okay, okay. Jeez. Raylo. He was playing, but he was playing hard to get. How many times does he say, when are you going to get that army? There's a really good case to make where he was manipulating and deceiving her every step of the way. No, a really good writer could have absolutely written that. To what extent is he an improviser, an opportunist, a master planner? The missing piece of this guy you've gotten to know is Halbrand, who has all of these qualities about him, is that he has another name, and it is Sauron. Surprise. And now everything you've learned about him means something a little different. Not if you're in front of it, which you say we should have been. Okay. J.D. Payne <laughs> enters now. <clears throat> a way we commonly talked about Sauron is that he's a power addict. There's a couple of ways we toy with his desire to go on the wagon, so to speak, to renounce power and seek healing. You can view his actions the way you view an addict's actions because every step they oh take, God. they wonder, am I getting closer or further away from a fix? 
They can always rationalize it. Oh, I have control over this. I'm fine. I can go to that grocery store and the liquor is on aisle 20. There's always the addict in Sauron pushing him towards getting into places of power. They are going to make him an anti-hero. Dear God. From minute one in the writer's room, we were talking about Milton, Ahab, Fagin, and Richard III. Not just pure evil and danger. He's freaking Sauron. But the complexity of evil. Sauron is a rich character who continues to have layers. He's Sauron. <laughs> uh, we saw how successful they were with that whole Thanos thing. And we said, what if we made him a really smart guy and we also sexed him up a bit? Okay. Sauron the fair is a thing, so I'll at least grant them the sexy. What is the nature of Sauron's relationship with Adar and was Adar's story another lie? Well, the whole idea of season one being an origin story for Mordor in a way was one of the early ideas in the writer's room that we all felt a lot of gravity pulling towards. I got to tell you, David, that burn away where they change out Southlands for Mordor is the corniest thing I've ever seen in a large budget show. Uh, It was awesome. (laughs) And worse is the, the, the orcs are not even chanting Mordor. They're chanting another name altogether. They don't. Mordor isn't the name. Mordor isn't even the name. So <laughs> fake news. Well, it's like, it's like, what should we call it? Looks off into the middle distance. Editor changes name to Mordor. I, okay. All right. It would have cool. been cool. It would have, it would have, I, I would have, I mean, obviously, you know, it's Mordor, but you, you know, the, but the, the, the writers don't know where they are. So it would have been cooler if it's like, what is this place? And then it would have ca- cut to black and he could have just whispered like, Mordor and it like that would have been cooler. The truth is, instead... David. The truth is, David. I think you could trust your audience. I think if you take that, if you take that burn away yeah. out, it it pans up to show the ashes and the mountains on all side and Mount Doom. It's like, yeah, it has a different name because the people that don't care about the lore don't care about what it's called. And so, it, my daughter and I were discussing this. It's like that is the exact wrong way to handle this kind of combination of general audience and lore people. So the lore people know what they're looking at. And the general audience is like, okay, cool, Mordor. Everybody knows already. It's like, (laughs) you're not surprising anyone here. No, and they think they are. And then they know they aren't. And then they try to back it down. There are core thematic ideas in the lore about destruction of the environment and evil rising and falling again. This is true. Mount Doom goes fallow and then awakens again. Yes, I'm, I'm not remembering the part where they build a trench and have a key to a dam and then they water exploded, but sure. There is a cycle that plays out through the centuries, dramatizing one of those reawakenings felt in harmony with canon to us and potentially delicious. Choice word. <laughs> Adar co-ops the plan for his own purposes, but it still was basically Sauron's plan. You find that in the text. Go show me where that's in your show. Here's the problem, right? It is tricky to write the master manipulator if you're also trying to hide the manipulation and then have it reflected back on the character for his credit after the fact. So that was a mistake. You can write the master manipulator and that will be, I think, delicious. Or you cannot write the master manipulator and you can try to hide it. But you try to get both and you have to be a really skilled writer to pull that off. Or you have to do what I thought they would do, which is the flashback sequence. Oh, it was me all along. And you go, you do the flashbacks. Of, this is how I got on a raft. This is how I manipulated Adar to put that key in that dam. <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and they don't do either. And so it's it's Sauron's plan to do that whole trench thing? Really? It doesn't feel like that. It's, it it feels feel like, like Sauron has no control over his own forces. 
and he's going to have to go and wrestle with Adar to take over with the Orcs at the top of season two. That's it, what's going to happen. It does not feel like it was Sauron's motivation to do any of the things that he does, and that's a problem when you're trying to label someone uh, the, the the manipulator. I mean, he's fighting uh, the Orcs in you know five minutes ago. If one person designs the car and the other person builds it, whose car is it? There are multiple ways to read that. This is a problem with some showrunners that I've seen. It's like, this isn't on your script. It might have been at one point. It isn't in your script. And so, no, you did not make a piece of art that even reflects this question that you are saying, this is what we ponder as this happens. Sauron unlocks the dam, as they put it, with the mithril. How much manipulation handle happened behind the scenes? See, this is the New York Times is asking these questions like a fan, right? It's like, we want to believe in Sauron as Emperor Palpatine. You go and you just have this guy yell, I'm Sauron. He doesn't feel right because it's like, all right, what did he really do? Nothing? I don't think he did anything. <laughs> they made Sauron an incel. I can't. I can't handle it, man. There's nothing safe anymore. <laughs> Seems like it. They ruined Celebrimbor too. Oh, right. Well, well, that's that's a funny part, right? Celebrimbor, uh, Master Smith, the, the finest smith in the history of Elvendom, is like, alloys, huh? <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, generally speaking, in my head, Sauron had always like taught him the dark arts and rituals to go into the power. Oh. And it's like, now nah, he's like, have you tried another metal? Ah, another metal could work, my good man. The Celebrimbor? <laughs> I that it's so funny. Oh. It's so funny because my body didn't believe Halbrand was Sauron after I told him in like episode two. Uh and uh and he goes he wakes up and he's like, Oh, you're the Celebrimbor? I'm like <laughs> it's like they are doing the most superficial version of and he flattered the elves for 300 years oh. that you could possibly imagine. Oh, uh, that's an honest breakthrough. Uh, has an idea about creating things that are so beautiful they could heal the world. On the other side of the map, Sauron is trying to build a power of the unseen world. It's peanut butter and jelly. Oh, God. <laughs> Sauron, <laughs> Sauron is powerful. These are, these are deep thinkers, you can tell. Don't bring peanut butter and jelly into your mess. You leave that out of this. <laughs> but he is not so powerful that he can engineer everything. We talked a lot about the idea of Steve Jobs over here and Bill Gates over there. And it's not until the two come together with the right technology that this new power can be harnessed. If we I just keep like, saying words, they'll stop asking us hard questions. I feel like at some point they were reading like a biography of the early days of computers. And this is what they came up with as analogous. It's like, well, that doesn't mean anything. What are you talking about? Sauron needs Celebrimbor as much as Celebrimbor needs the right metal. And Sauron's inspiration for it all to come together. Sauron didn't find the mithril. What are we even talking about? Even in your own story, my man. <laughs> All right. I know you have to go at nine, David. So I, I, I makes me upset. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got more of this, but I know you have to go. Yes. Um, so we'll be covering this more, uh, folks. I'm not going to, I'm not going to drop off. We've got a few more of these questions. Uh, and then we've got one last article that talks to Charlie Vickers, Hal Brand, Sauron himself. Uh, and then we'll get out of here. David, have a great one. Uh, you can you find David at Prototopics. Is there anything else that folks should know about you or your presence online? We got a Star Wars show in the works over on Prototopics. That's going to be fun. Ooh. So that's that's going to be cool. But until then, thanks, y'all. I'll see you on Lawyers and Dragons. Sauron's an incel, and I am sad. Good day. <laughs> that should be your new sign-off. Well, David, we've succeeded in making you sad. Chat, I knew this would come. 
we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, while we're in the interim here between these questions. Let's hit some super chats. What a day. What a conversation. Uh, Evocati Productions. Good morning, Hogue. Are you sure about Ronald E. Moore writing for Babylon 5? I'm not so sure about that. I, actually, I'm not so sure about that either. I said Ron Moore because I was thinking of Star Trek The Next Generation. I do know that there were consults on Babylon 5, in particular Harlan Ellison. Um, and so I might have just gotten my sci-fi writers mixed up. It happens. I'm not perfect. Uh, but I think Ron Moore uh, isn't involved in Bab 5. Um, so I, 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 you could check me. He's everywhere in the 90s. <laughs> uh, but I think that I was thinking of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, Vincent Rando, remember kids, 99% of all statistics are BS. I like that. It makes you think, right? You're like, oh, and then wait. Karate Cat Mom, totally here for Spicy David. Yeah, he was losing it, wasn't he? He was losing it. It's important to him. This is what happens when something's important to you and you see it not treated with the respect you think it deserves. HP writers often seem to forget you can have a villain charismatic enough that people like who they don't root for, but is also unequivocally horrible. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would have been a blast to watch Sauron operate, knowing that he is Sauron. Uh, you know, you have at the end of maybe the the second episode where he's introduced, you know, he goes into his cabin on the boat. He reveals himself so that we know what's going on. And then think of the number of fun scenes you could have watching him try to manipulate the situation to his advantage. Instead, you J.J. Abrams it. You tried to hold it as a mystery box. And then when everybody was ahead of you and the entire finale falls flat because you just have mystery boxes being opened that people were already months ahead of, uh, it doesn't work. And you said, ah, we never intended that. Doesn't, doesn't pass the smell test. Rob coming in here with Law and Lumber. By the way, if you missed it, you know, we did a, a discussion in Hangouts and Headlines on the Amaranth situation yesterday morning. Ian and Rob, as I mentioned in that episode, did a wonderful discussion, not even specifically about Amaranth, but about dealing with troubling situations, talked about with real sincerity and real sensitivity. I highly recommend checking out. It's on Ian Runkle's Runkle of the Bailey channel. Uh, and you'll you'll see some chats from me uh, and questions as well. But it's um, it's a really it's a really nice talk. Uh, so go check that out. What is Rob's question here? I don't know if this speaks to a negative character trait, but why am I deriving such joy from how horribly this is breaking David's brain slash soul? Because David treats it with exactly the level of seriousness that it deserves, right? At a fundamental level, I would say that David appears to be understanding that this isn't real, right? These are two people that missed the boat on what they should have been making and failed in their mission. Um, and we're human beings. People can try and fail all the time. Uh, and so you, you look at what they actually put out there in Rings of Power, and it really all fell apart in the end. Uh, and uh, say, yeah, I can I can laugh about it. I can bring that gallows humor to it. Uh, and I think I think that's what's happening with David. But I had to invite him on for this episode. I had to, had to. Moby, please address the hat situation. Okay, could you not find it after telling Mrs. Hoglaw that you had a hat? Did you commit perjury? Uh, how did, how did you know that I told Mrs. Hoglaw that I have a hat? Um, I, I do have a hat. Uh, this would have been the hat that I wore. I'm not, I didn't commit perjury. Also, I wasn't under oath, but you know, I didn't commit perjury. I just elected not to put it on, um, because I have to go out today. Uh, and sometimes that, uh, crushes my hair. I think we're going a little bit too in depth, uh, this answer. Uh, but no, I, I thought, Hey, how many comments could there possibly be on the fact that I'm not wearing a hat? Right. A few. Uh, HP, this show often felt more like a poorly written fan fiction than an actual show, which is really sad considering its budget. Yeah. I think one of the things that happens with the finale is you get, 
you can you can relook at everything that you've experienced over the eight episodes and say, well, that really didn't amount to much. Um, and that didn't make me feel uh, anything in terms of characters or emotion or everything. The other things you heard the showrunners already talk about. And that can only happen after you give it its full fair shot. You get to the end and like, oh, maybe it all comes together and, and combines in a way. You've had that happen with movies or TV shows that you've watched. And then you get to the end and you say, oh, no, there's no there there. It's an emperor's new clothes kind of situation. Um, and it does feel like like fan fiction from somebody that only read half of the cliff notes because the other half had been torn out before a test they had to take on Tolkien's world, I would say. Hmm. Um, and uh, let's see here. You're always under oath with Mrs. Hoglaw. <laughs> oh, see, co-counsel says, I love your hair. It was a great choice. Yeah, it's okay. I <laughs> Other people commenting on my hair. Uh, is Rings of Power like the Cursed Child? They don't really exist, right? Well, the only difference there is Cursed Child is written by JK, right? Um, so that has a little bit less of a separation point. Um, in this particular instance, you can absolutely say those are just two guys. Those are two guys that compare things between Sauron and Celebrimbor like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And you can listen to all of the things they say and say, these guys might be idiots in terms of writing stories. Um, and not necessarily be wrong. Let's talk about how Mithril is supposed to cure the sudden fading of the elves, which has been a somewhat controversial addition. This has no basis in Tolkien's lore. There's this poetic idea in Tolkien about the fading of the elves, that elven immortality has a time limit, primarily of the Third Age, which you're not writing in, but that's fine. It felt important to us to turn up the heat on the frog in the pot, because part of what the rings do is halt this fading. So some of how we came to the mithril and a legend about how it might well actually have magic in it was all a way to wrestle with the canonical problem of elven fading and how the rings stop it. In terms of time scale, the elves in the third age are getting ready to leave Middle-earth. That's 3,000 years later for the record, folks. Because whatever happens with the one ring, their fate is sealed. Their rings become ineffective or everybody is screwed. I feel like you don't have a firm grip on Tolkien's lore. So what was the fading like right before the rings hit pause? They could have been in a desperate place. How did you handle instances where you might be contradicting more? Well, one of the places where we're taking a real liberty is the time compression. What was important to the Tolkien estate was the principle of the narrative flow and the sequence of events, not the dates. The rings are made here. There's a war between Sauron and the elves. The later Sauron is taken in Numenor. Numenor falls. Gondor is established, and you end up with the Battle of the Last Alliance. Does it matter if it's 100 or 500 years past between those events? No. It absolutely does. And this time compression is really a sticking point for me, which is to say the story of this, and this is where I get to be a little bit of a lore hound on Lord of the Rings. The story of the second age is Sauron insinuating himself into these cultures, right? If you think about Peter Jackson's movie and you think about that prologue, you hear Galadriel say, and they were all of them deceived. That fundamental to this is that insinuation of evil and the desire for power in all races that he can use against them to overcome their fear as described in the show or whatever else you want to ascribe to it. But that that is a long process, that the corruption can be insidious, not to kind of use what Star Wars is using as well in Darth Sidious, but it can be insidious because it is such small increments that you go from a point in thinking you'll do good things, that you want this power for good reasons, and that you allow yourself to be deceived by the nature of power and the corruption. And instead, if you make it one morning, I woke up and said, use Tinuo, Sauron lives, and I out out to Mordor, 
that that's the same because you have to use a compressed timescale because you decided to bring in all the characters from the last alliance now before the rings are made is a massive misstep. So does it matter? 1,000% yes. And I hope David hears this because that's where I back him up on the lore stuff so much is that there is a distinction between Sauron showed up one day, he made some rings, he took over, we fought him, we killed him. And this took place over a thousand years of the corruption of man and the corruption of dwarves and the corruption of elves. Look, I don't know how you make a TV show regarding that with that time frame, and you need new characters every other episode, but certainly House of the Dragon has had time skips, has dealt with new cast members and things of that nature. So I think it can be done, but this notion of everything happens in five minutes really takes the import out of these events. The creation of the Rings of Power, probably the most important thing in the history of this world. And it's like one morning he goes and gets a Sanka and says, you should totally make like some rings with this metal. I'm out. That's a different story. The finale reveals that the strangers in Astaria or Wizard can confirm which one. Some might think Gandalf, given his comment to always follow your nose. Uh, some might think Gandalf for like a thousand reasons. Nothing to confirm. One of the earliest ideas we had about the precursor to Hobbits was that of being of incredible power lands in their backyard. It was less about who and more about how this being disrupts this girl's life. You are a liar, good sir. That's an archetypal, universal, and relatable story. He's on his own journey of self-discovery. He has not yet discovered any name. He doesn't know, and neither does Nori, that that's going to be part of their story moving forward if and when he does learn his name or name. We're sticking to this mystery box that we already gave away. But hey, maybe we'll surprise you, and even though we have all these Gandalf signifiers, it'll be someone else because, ooh, twist. We have subverted your expectations. Tell me where is Celeborn? That's Galadriel's husband. For I very much desire to speak with him. You didn't get the quote right, New York Times. Uh, Galadriel does not say he's dead. She says, I never saw him again. Hopefully the, the delight is that more beloved canonical characters will join the party. There's still more folks to erroneously interpret. There are many places Celeborn could be and many different ways in which he could or could not be, come back into Galadriel's life. Middle Earth is wide and elves are immortal. No one can see the article that I'm talking about. This is a fair comp uh, complaint. Well, I, I can assure you, I scrolled through it. <laughs> this is this is a bit better podcast experience. We'll get these on podcasts. Uh, thank you, co-counsel. I, I just get fired up. Those are the answers that they gave. I'm sorry that you couldn't read along with that. And then just finally, we did have an article here about clues fans may have missed uh, from Deadline and the fact that Halbrand is in fact the uber villain Sauron. It's probably better than super villain. Uh, what does he have to say about all this? How did you find out that your character was Sauron? It took a while, actually. We filmed the first two episodes, then went on a six-month, five-month hiatus because of COVID. And then with maybe two months to go of the hiatus, the showrunner said, we want you to come in. We want to have a meeting with you. Uh, and they took me into the set that Galadriel discovers in the first episode. They took me in there and said, this is your world. You're playing Sauron. Now, interestingly enough, since they do say that you're supposed to realize he's Sauron for the entirety of the time, not telling the character that's playing Sauron during the episode where you were introduced to him, and he says things like, um, you know, looks may be deceiving, is a choice. What was your reaction like when you found out? Were you kind of, I knew it, and you were feeling it like, whoa, I kind of knew. I definitely had a feeling because my last two audition speeches that I did, they had me do at the end. One was Richard III from Henry VI, and the second one was Paradise Lost, and it was literally Satan. Two very evil characters, so I had an inkling. Then there were a few other clues, but I did film my stuff on the raft in the second episode. I filmed that without knowing fully who I was. Knowing that you were Sauron after you came back from hiatus, how did that inform your performance and how did you keep your character's true identity a secret throughout? I think it was a process. Once I found out I was Sauron, I had time to do a lot of subconscious work. I pulled through as much material as I could, poured 
poured through, probably. Hmm. I reread the Silmarillion and the parts really relevant to him. I read through Tolkien's letters. I read one of the installments of the history of Middle-earth called Morgoth's Ring. So I basically filled up my mind with as much sound as I could. And I went where they filmed Mount Doom in National Park. I went for a hike there for four days. I think David's right. I like this actor. He seems very dedicated to his craft. I did all that. And then I kind of just let that settle in my subconscious. And to be honest, it didn't really influence my decision making on set. On the day, I was still very much playing it wholeheartedly Halbrand as I was on the raft. I just guess I hope that I would work. I would done would have embedded and influenced my character in some way. Because the way I like to look at it is that in order to deceive Galadriel, Farazhan, Muriel, these other people in Numenor, and all these people he meets who are legends of lore, I think he would have had to be fully invested in this character, that he is this human character of Halbrand, feeling, experiencing, and living things as a human. That was useful for me because it simplified what I have to do because it's hard to play two things at once, but I would have hoped that the undercurrent was always there. Talk about the emotional scene with uh, Galadriel in the finale in which Halbrand's identity is revealed. It's a scene where I think you finally see his true intentions to shout at people. It has a lot of stuff in the scene. He talks to her about healing Middle-earth. That comes back to a lot of what Tolkien said about it in the beginning of the Second Age. He'd been brought low and he lingered in Middle-earth and his power then very slowly reemerged. So we see him wrapped, basically pitching his vision. I think he wholeheartedly believes that he's doing good. The showrunners don't. He wants to rehabilitate and rid Middle-earth of all the wasteful friction because he's obsessed with order. And I think he genuinely believes that if Galadriel joins him, that he, it'll help him achieve his goals. I think they have a cosmic connection, but I don't think it's necessarily in his mind a king and queen-like husband and wife kind of situation. I think it's more, I can use you to get what I want and intact my designs, enact, deadline, my designs faster because ultimately I think he would have ended up ruling by himself whether she joined him or not. And when she says no on the raft, it angers him. The fake mind raft. But it's not the end of the world for him, I don't think. How is it going? Uh, how is it going back and filming the raft scene, knowing that you're Sauron? Uh, it's a very beautifully written scene. There are obvious similarities, like Halbrand and Sauron are both skilled Smith. What are some of the more subtle clues about Halbrand's true identity that you, as an actor, dropped along the way? It's interesting with Halbrand because you only see him through the lens of other characters. You rarely see him alone. In fact, I think you only see him alone once he's sitting with his pouch. And even then you see him in conflict, which isn't a conflict that makes sense. It's one of the things that I argued about after the episode. And that's interesting because it's interesting to try to judge it as a viewer. I was hoping that this would happen when creating the character that people would be like, is he genuinely repentant? Is genuinely trying to be a good man and start a new life? Or is he just manipulating his way through it? So when you look at that scene and you think, well, he's conflicted, he's just by himself, he's not showing this to anyone, you could argue that he's, well, perhaps genuinely repentant. Or you could accuse the showrunners of deliberately toying with people to try to keep a mystery box closed that didn't deserve to be closed. Uh, I wonder which way I go. But I remember making that scene and thinking in Middle-earth, there's always someone watching and the gods are watching and he fears the gods. So I think for me, as I was performing it, it was about accentuating the subtle differences within that repentance and not being too obvious with either manipulation or overt conflicts. Like, I really want to be a good man. I think I tried to walk the line. And as well as that, the showrunners, the writers put in some really cool little hints like lines to Galadriel, I'm sorry about your brother. Or I think his second line on the raft is looks can be deceiving. I had some friends text me as soon as I said the line, you're Sauron. And I couldn't tell them. Sauron is always calculating. Why did he rescue Galadriel? I think she's survival to him at that moment. I'm not going to go over all this plot stuff, right? This goes on and on and on. But suffice it to say, there is a disconnect between the way people are making television shows right now and shows of a great deal of budget and importance to their production houses and their bottom lines, like Rings of Power, that I find utterly destructive to good writing, uh, right? From a narrative perspective, trying to hide that identity and keeping it as a mystery box to be opened in the finale is massively 
uh, underwhelming by the time that you get to that sequence. Then you have the showrunner saying, well, we were never trying to do that, which is just flat out feels like a lie. Uh, you know, I can't read people's mind. I can't promise you they are lying. Uh, but at bare minimum, they are rationalizing what happened with their show. And so at the end of the day, look, if you like Rings of Power, we did for a long time. We thought the finale uh, didn't hold water. We're probably going to watch it again, probably with my parents, uh, because they haven't watched it yet. We'll see how they react to things. Uh, but otherwise, uh, play it straight. Tell a good story. If you get caught up in advance, that's okay. And I've said this from Lost. I've said this from Alias. What other J.J. Abrams? I've said this from Fringe. I've said this from Star Trek Into Darkness, where they try to hide who Khan is. And it doesn't matter to the characters. The story isn't good because you're hiding something that doesn't make sense. And you are compromising your storytelling to try to achieve it. And then when you deny it and you say, well, we were never trying to achieve that. You've lost my respect. All right, let's hit a few other Super Chats on our way out the door. This has been a slightly casual Tuesday edition of Hangouts and Headlines, but I saw these articles. So many of you sent them to me. Uh, it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, and I knew if I could get David over uh, that we would have some fun with him. So let's take a look at some of these, uh, these Super Chats. If you have any other comments, uh, we'll probably try to get out of here in the next five or ten minutes uh, to leave you to your wonderful Tuesdays. I think I just grabbed everything there. Let's start with Kern Grisdale, Chuck series finale, yay or nay. Like the How I Met Your Mother season finale, mostly I look at it and say, I wish that were different, but it doesn't ruin the series for me. Uh, so no, the Chuck finale I think is ill-conceived, um, but it doesn't ruin the Chuck series for me. Senshi, thinking Sauron is more complicated than just evil shows they don't really understand how Tolkien felt about the Great War. Yes, there seems to be a thread throughout writers and Hollywood in general uh, that is incapable of putting together shows or movies that have a big damn heroes defeat big damn villains kind of approach. And the problem that they have is that this particular property that they picked up and made is maybe the biggest of those damn heroes, even though it can come from the smallest of things, and the biggest of those villains. This is absolute evil. This is the notion that seeking dominion over your fellow man is in and of itself wholly evil, and not just whether or not you would do good with it, right? Gandalf has an awesome speech in the middle of Peter Jackson's movie where he says, don't hand me the ring, Frodo. With it, I would seek to do great good, uh, but through me, it would do great evil that the notion of power is itself corrupting and that the power that is Sauron, that is embedded in the one ring, is the desire to lord over others. He's the dark lord Sauron. And that in and of itself is a problem, even if that dark lord would bring sprinkles and rainbows and candy to everyone. That dominion, the loss of freedom, is itself inherently evil. And I'm an addict to power and I'm like Bill Gates and it's like peanut butter and jelly is just... First of all, it's trying to add gray where there shouldn't be that gray, and then it's doing it poorly. It's doing it like a middle school student or something that would try to add these layers to a character like Sauron. And, and I don't like to come across that viciously to people that are trying to make creations. It's easy to be a critic. Uh, it's not easy to create. Uh, but I think that this is a massive failing on their part at the end of the day. And the fact that it spent $700 million to do it is just kind of the cherry on top. The Heathers, Terra Nova canceled after one season, and I was crushed. Terra Nova, not bad. I actually really liked that. It was bringing back a kind of um, family show uh, with dinosaurs. Um, and Terra Nova cost Fox a pretty penny. 
<clears throat> and it was dumb, right? It's a dumb show. Uh, dinosaurs, family living in tree houses and whatnot. Uh, but it was it was fun. Uh, and I missed that too. Wish it got more than one season. Heather's good choice. Brick Cormier, when will bad robots disciples realize that mystery boxes, just like loot boxes, woo, are bad ways to reward fans? I don't know. They keep getting jobs, right? If Hollywood keeps giving them jobs, they will keep selling these things, right? We'll build a mystery box. It'll be grand. J.J. Abrams is one of the richest producers in Hollywood, uh, and he has never made anything that has sustained even moderate scrutiny, right? And so I, I can't tell him to not do these things if these sales pitches work. I can't tell him. I can tell him I'm not liking it. <laughs> I, I don't enjoy what they put out there. Um Matthew says, didn't watch the show, but I must say 75% of the fun in this episode is seeing David cringing. It really didn't motivate me to watch the show. We weren't trying to sell you on, on turning on your Amazon and, and getting Rings of Power on. Um, William, so given Bro Bilbo and Frodo's chainmail shirt made of tiny mithril rings, does that make him the most powerful thing in Middle Earth? Mithril was never supposed to be magic rocks. They're not infinity stones. They don't cure the elves. It's the wildest, really weird timer that they added to their show. Uh, and it's the one area where I think people that really like the lore reject it most wholly. Andy, the game maker, some people suggest that Tolkien was an anarchist. Uh, I mean, I think you can read Lord of the Rings as being, I want the natural order back and that civilization in and of itself is that kind of evil. But I would disagree with that. I, I think when you're talking about Gondor or even Rivendell or, or these various places that are um, changing the landscape, uh, it, hopefully in concordance or in harmony with nature that I don't think Tolkien rejects that wholly, right? I think Tolkien understands that he's an English professor and he lives on a certain amount of societal infrastructure as much as he loves trees and nature. And I think that's fantastic. Um, so I, I wouldn't argue that he's an anarchist, but that he does see power as inherently problematic. Uh, and that especially those seeking power are to be looked at askance. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons it resonates with a lot of people. Um, is that I think we can see that in our everyday lives. So that's that's how I would characterize Tolkien. But I, I'm a I'm a death of the author kind of guy. Um, so if you see something different in those in those stories, that's fully fine. But you can't just co-opt them to deliver whatever message you want to deliver. Which is like, what if Sauron weren't wholly evil? That's an interesting kind of side story. You want to name it something completely different. You call it Sauron. It's clearly a different take on things. You do that with Shakespeare. You do that with all sorts of historical texts all the time. That's great. Go for it. But if you want to have it called the Lord of the Rings um, and you want it to be attached to this thing, and you're going to use all this stuff from maybe the greatest set of movies ever made in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And you're going to use those lines. And you're going to use those reference points and you're going to use some of those camera shots. Then you got to play it straight. You can't start to go, well, Sauron is actually a sexy guy that feels rejected by Galadriel and that spins him off into more evil. Okay. That's not in Lord's That's not in Tolkien's text. That's not the way I've ever seen the Lord of the Rings. And I think it does damage to what the Lord of the Rings actually is. So thank you, Andy, the game maker, um, for that super chat. Uh, and then Heather's, who doesn't love dinosaurs? Referring back again to Terra Nova. <clears throat> Uh, 6,000 years to get to a third generation of elves. They evolved fast, apparently, says Strive. Yeah, there's all sorts of problems with the time compression. Uh, the ending of Tiranova is a complete cliffhanger, and then they canceled it. It's very sad. It is very sad. I know it. Token was a strict Catholic. He ain't no anarchist. Um, some people do read that. I mean, I've seen that reading. Um, but I see I see all sorts of readings. I, I, that's part of the fun of looking at literature. Some people really want to attach the nuclear power 
to the one ring. And I don't think that holds at all. And I think Tolkien actually says that in his letters um, that he despises allegory, <laughs> uh, right? That he wants his characters and his story to be internally consistent more than to deliver real world messages about one thing or the other. And that's why God love him. He's one of the best read and most popular authors on earth is that he doesn't try to just evangelize or otherwise talk specific political points in his book. He makes an internally consistent story that is a reflection of his values. Uh, which is he loves nature and he abhors kind of domination from others. Uh, and you see that in uh, massive detail in The Lord of the Rings. J.J. Uh, Abrams produced Person of Interest, really great series. Yeah, I give that more credit to the Nolans. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they're not all they're not all misses. Person of Interest is, is fantastic, but the, the Nolans uh, helped make that pos uh, possible. And I think the Nolans are, are much better writers than J.J. Abrams. Uh, fringe dies at the end. I'm sorry. I just, that's, that's my feeling on it. If you loved it all the way through to the end, more power to you. Uh, but I, I did not like it through the end. Um, and I think that's about it. They could have called it Mordor lost if they really read Milton. You could have called it Mordor. I mean, if you look at the video game landscape, they have a video game that features Celebrimbor and a random going through Mordor and dealing with various things. And it is definitely not canon. It is not J.R.R. Tolkien, but it does use kind of some concepts and some of the visuals of uh, Lord of the Rings. And I think that works. That's a side story. It's a what if story, if you're familiar with like the Marvel branding. And I think that's okay. You can, you can toy with those as you understand, hey, that's not the real story. Uh, this is claiming to be the real story. And I think it fails utterly. All right, folks, this has been an awesome and fun conversation with you all about Rings of Power. I do like to have these conversations, as you can probably tell, in Hangouts and Headlines about media and television and things that I otherwise follow. That's, that's where my head lives quite often. And when you see something like this, that from a business side, which is where I generally talk to you all about in headlines or in virtual legality, and you see Amazon seemingly scramble to put its showrunners out explaining that, oh no, we never wanted a surprise and everything's going great. Uh, and here's the actor that plays Sauron. It's like, yeah, I, I did it. And all this stuff makes sense. If you really think about it, you can see that they are scrambling to defend their, um, their, ba their baby here. Uh, and so I think that's interesting from a corporate messaging standpoint as well. There won't be a headlines and hangouts on Wednesday. It is weekend Wednesday for hangouts and headlines. So I will see you back in this space on Thursday. Who knows what we'll be talking about? I might know. I might have an idea about what Thursday's article will be. Uh, but I look forward to seeing you all then. Look out for virtual legalities on the channel between now and then, hopefully if I can get to them. And otherwise, have a fantastic Tuesday. And you know, send David Grace your love. Tweet him. Give him a heart. Give him a hug emoji. Uh, he needs it after this show. Until next time, folks, I will see you then.